Welcome back, sex explorers, to another episode of Sexplorations with your host, me, Adelina Adler. That's right, joining me on my quest to become a certified sex coach. Today's episode is all about relationship norms. That's right, we'll be delving into the expectations we uphold about relationships in general. Uh, first of all, I'd like to point out that even being in a relationship in itself is a social expectation. Uh, all you need to do is uh, think about Thanksgiving dinner scenes with your nosy aunt asking when you're going to find a nice friend to bring over. When are you going to find someone? <laughs> you get a lot of that pressure. Um, if you're single, it seems like uh, maybe uh, something's wrong with you. Especially if you reach a certain age and you're still single, uh, people's first reaction is to wonder, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? What's your hidden baggage? Do you suck at commitment? What's wrong with you? I, I had a similar experience with that uh, lately. Uh, when I was trying to be in the dating pool, people would be like, wow, you're so smart, hot and funny, and so incredibly humble. How are, how are you single? What's wrong with you? Girl, you're crazy. <laughs> to be single is to be singled out by society. Uh, but I think it's it's quite nice. There's a place for exploring the world on your own, for finding yourself, and uh, for living your life on your own and in terms. There's lessons to be learned there. And I don't think there's anything wrong, no matter how old you are. If you don't choose to be in a that's perfectly fine doesn't matter what reason you have. Do your thing, boo. But for those of us who do engage in relationships, uh, what do we usually envision when we talk about romantic relationships? Yes. In this episode, we're talking about strictly romantic or amorous relationships. A popular answer is that relationships uh, are something that eventually lead to marriage or creating a family. And when we talk about marriage and, and family and all that, what, usually what we think of is uh, the nuclear family, right? A husband, wife, kids, 40s and 50s, kind of little iconic uh, situation there. However, of course, as anyone who can look around today with eyes can see, the landscape of this is changing. Um, even the idea of the nuclear family was only popularized a century ago. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, the traditional, quote-unquote, family was multi-generational, with grandparents often living with their children on farms as well as in urban environments, typically with other relatives nearby. The nuclear family has evolved in response to a number of factors. Better health and longer lives, economic development, industrialization, urbanization, geographic mobility, and migration to the suburbs. In fact, anthropological studies show that these standards, these ideas of family, change along with the waves of society. Today, families come in all sorts of beautiful configurations. We got single parent homes, shout out to the single parents out there. Cooperative polyamorous families that help each other out. LGBTQ families, families with no kids at all. You know, for parents, high five to y'all. And multi-home co-parenting, which uh, was a new 
idea to me, but it's people who decide to have kids together without marriage and the headache of divorce. Like, let's skip the paperwork. We can be adults and both take care of this child and not even live together. And hey, power to it. And also when we talk about uh, family, there is usually kind of a process that leads up to it in, in our American schema here. Back in the day, that process might have been like seeing each other. You start seeing each other and you start dating. Then you go steady. Oh my God, you remember that? I haven't heard that term since 1992. <laughs> and then of course, maybe came engagement getting married then comes baby in the baby carriage <laughs> of course there are modern changes nowadays you might think of this process as more like online hookups fast food sex and then suddenly why is your toothbrush in my bathroom <laughs> and then you start living together maybe marriage maybe adopt a dog or a cat and then oh shit we're divorced <laughs> But at least we're not alone statistically. Um, whatever the case may be, like when people look at that one too, uh, they tend to want to bemoan this and see it as the lesser, like a degeneration. Like, oh God, man, it used to be so much more stable in the good old days. But this this isn't necessarily the case at all. Uh, again, we find these structures these societal structures, these schemas, these norms, are not necessarily set in stone. They continuously fluctuate and evolve over time. <laughs> in fact, uh, just to insert another shameless butt plug, uh, there will be an episode later on at the, at the end of this series on shame where I'm going to go through the history and culture of sex and relationships uh, throughout time. And... Uh, in, in, in across the world uh, so stay tuned for that that's gonna be exciting <laughs> in any case when these structures are constantly evolving we go through growing pains and resistance to these changes and such does it make sense though to allow for these ideas to hold absolute sway over the way we operate i think it's a good idea to periodically re-examine them and change our perspectives accordingly I know oftentimes change can seem tumultuous. We don't like adjusting the power of our truths. Our truths hold security for us, safety. But in rigidity, in dogma, there's a danger. Inflexibility, brittleness leads to breakage, leads to instability more than it does the opposite. Change is natural. It's a recurring part of growth, part of adjustment. Humans, for better or worse, are masters of adaption and survival. So changes are a natural result of environmental shifts that occur. And sometimes when we look at these, we look at these norms, when we look at these schemas, it's helpful to remember that these are more like guidelines <laughs> than, than uh, rules set in stone tablets. They give us a template to work off of. They allow people kind of like a cheat sheet, easy access. Like if you want to kind of figure out maybe how this could work, here, here's an example. But 
they are not meant to be the totality. They're not meant to be the end all, be all. None of these norms are. None of these schemas are. None of these set rules are set. A lot of things change. A lot of things are naturally seeking to become a purer reflection of the nature of themselves. We have to remember that throughout time, there's been political interests, financial interests, societal interests that have kept or required certain status quos to be maintained. Um, we'll go into that a little bit later as well, some examples of that, paternity, certainty, and things like that. But again, these things have attempted to establish hard norms. And uh, that's why I think it's, it is, again, important to revisit them from time to time so as to not allow inflexibility and calcified old dogmas to stifle the happiness of all. After all, why are we putting structures ahead of human well-being? Structures are meant to serve us, to assist us, not inhibit or restrict us. They're meant to be updated as we grow. Hmm. But some of us don't want to get married, you know? Families aren't for everyone, after all. And relationships exist for many reasons. We don't all get into relationships expecting a ring at the end of it all. So outside of marriage or families, what else do we expect from our romantic relationships? Uh, some answers that I received or that I found in my research included the idea of true intimacy. So uh, how do we define intimacy? I like giving some operant definitions to work off of. The one I came up with is that intimacy is the ability to let your most personal self... Ooh, that's a strong P sound. I might... Please uh, fund me at patreon.com so I can get uh, a nice little filter for, for the P. <laughs> the P sounds. <laughs> uh, so intimacy, in my definition, is the ability to let your most personal self become exposed and vulnerable with a person or persons. And have them not only accept that, but nurture, to demonstrate affection towards it physically, emotionally, spiritually, support it. Intimacy can exist outside of our amorous relationships as well. Um, friendships, family, professional relationships, I mean even, even acquaintances. Uh, think of a, a therapist and even an escort both provide intimacy services, for instance. Now when we talk about intimacy, there are different expressions as well of intimate connections. I've uh, come up with three, but I'm certain there there might be more. If you can think of some good ones, uh, go ahead and shoot them over to me at askaddyadler at gmail.com, A-S-K-A-D-D-Y-A-D-L-E-R at gmail.com. The first of the three that I put up is a uh, physical intimacy, of course, you know, touch, sex. Touch is a love language. <laughs> Um, then there's emotional intimacy, which is uh, being safe to feel and express your feelings without fear of shame or judgment. And 
Lastly, a friend of mine helped me come up with behavioral intimacy. And that one at first uh, was a little bit more difficult for me to grasp, but uh, think about it like this. It's the idea of like, I only do this thing with this person. It's kind of a blend uh, between physical or emotional, and it doesn't necessarily always need to be sexual. Um, a good example of this would be uh, kink. Kink in general, it's, uh, it's enacting intimate behaviors, trusting yourself with another person to share in certain behaviors that can have emotional significance to them. Or it can just be something that's fun for you. And you don't, and you know, you have that trust. I know intimacy definitely has to do with intrinsic trust. Um, that you won't be betrayed or shamed. So yeah, intimacy definitely is uh, an integral part of a lot of relationships. Next, a lot of people expect uh, contractual agreements. And that sounds a little weird at first. People are like, mm, what do you mean contracts over here? Like, oh, geez. <laughs> um, they they kind of think of uh, transactionary, that it's very transactionary. I know my old roommate would just bristle at the thought of me saying that. Um, but if you think about it, philosophically, any human relationship we participate in is inherently an exchange, be it an exchange of ideas, services, or even at its most basic level of time and attention. The nature of interaction, the very nature of it, is exchange. Now, the reason we don't like the idea of transactionary exchanges is because a lot of times it gets a little convoluted with uh, the oppressive, the shadow self of it, when it's abused and it becomes uneven and there's an exploitation behind it. That's what we don't like and that's unfortunately what we're kind of used to when we think of things like business. We like to think of exchange and transactions in regards to business and our idea of business has been a, a little sullied. <laughs> but what I mean in this instance with contractual agreements is that we expect certain boundaries in our relationships to be respected, acknowledged, and upheld. It's important to understand what our partners and even we ourselves are looking for and expecting whenever we enter any relationship. And I'm talking about not just sexual, even though I think that's extremely healthy. I think one of the most positive things you can do is right off the bat, honey, tell your partners what you want in the bedroom, what you're expecting. Talk about those limits. Talk about your comfort zones. But these are things you do also in general when it comes to your emotional preferences, all these things. What are our comfort zones? What are our boundaries? When we think about them for ourselves, why do we have them? Are they fair? Do we uphold those same standards for our partner as we uphold in ourselves? And if there are discrepancies there, can we examine those further? Can we take an honest look at ourselves and tweak and adjust as we need to see fit? But in some way, she perform, yes, we all have certain expectations and boundaries that go into um, our relationships, whether we explicitly state them, which I think is extremely healthy, or not. How many times have we heard, I'm not psychic, I don't know what you want. You gotta tell me. 
Remember, communicating these expectations and comfort zones is extremely healthy. Now, unfortunately, though, um, a lot of, especially in monogamous relationships, a lot of this language tends to be restrictive when we talk about our contractual, uh, our contracts, our, our conversations. You can't do blank with blank. Why are you talking to your ex? <laughs> we have a child together. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I get it. I get it. A lot of these exist for the sake of maintaining security or, you know, making sure one is secure in one's role within a relationship. I have to say that healthy relationships, I cannot stress this enough, are built on a foundation of trust and security. Now, how we obtain or uphold that security can be either really positive and helpful and nourishing, mutual respectful, or it can be oppressive. It can come from a place of fear and lack and uh, become really destructive. It fills us with paranoia. It comes from a place that's it's not healthy. <clears throat> Um, we'll get more into that though in a little bit. In fact, I think that's going to be something that we touch on in the next episode in particular. I want to be able to give that a long, hard look, but kind of going along those lines, uh, we talk about, uh, parameters that a lot of people in, uh, traditional, let's say, quote unquote, normal, quote unquote, relationships look for. A common one we see is the idea of commitment or exclusivity now there is a differentiation a strong difference between these two and i want you guys to learn that uh, at least have something to take away from this today it's it's that now whereas a commitment can be seen as an agreement spoken or unspoken to devote a certain amount of time and attention to someone or something. I think that exclusivity is, uh, is it's taking the, it's monopolizing that it's the desire to monopolize the attention and commitment of something. Now, um, I know it's a, and it's an important language shift that I've been noticing lately because um, people will say that they're not looking to be exclusive in relationships a lot. Instead of saying like, I'm not looking for a committed relationship, a lot of people are now changing the lexicon to say, I'm not looking for anything exclusive. And I think this is a very kind of positive language shift because you can be committed in consensually non-monogamous relationships to all your partners. Commitment doesn't have limitations beyond you know your ability like how many spoons do you have to give um think about all the commitments that that we have we have we could be committed to all your kids your jobs your hobbies your friends your pets we can hold in a lot of our other relationships and a lot of our other engagements multiple commitments why then do we limit this connotation when we're talking about relationships that's when we want to have the idea of exclusivity. Exclusivity is tied with ownership. 
the idea of nobody but me. I alone fulfill all your needs. And uh, a lot of this is an attempt to eliminate the potential for competition. Again, when we see a person's devotion as a scarce resource, we are compelled to want to monopolize that. We want it all for ourselves. We want it all. Please don't sue me. <laughs> we want to monopolize it. We're afraid of losing it. There's only enough for us. And if it is shared with other people, then there won't be enough for me. I challenge that. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense uh, in, in that perspective, because when you're coming from a mindset of scarcity, you're attempting to eliminate potential for competition. Um, it's yet another affirmation of security within your position. Am I not enough? I should be enough. That comes, that idea, that fear, again, comes from a place of deep-rooted insecurity. You were taught somewhere, somewhere along the line that you aren't enough, that your love isn't enough, that it can be taken from you, that your joy, that your security can be taken from you at the drop of a hat. That other people then are to be feared, your competition and love must be greedily locked down but where else do we put this kind of pressure on a single source i like to use the example of teachers we don't think one teacher is shitty just because we have multiple teachers in our lives the value of one isn't diminished by the presence of others in fact they often complement each other you got your social studies teacher, your science teacher, home ec. Where else do we put this kind of pressure on a single source? Why do we put that pressure of being everyone's everything on ourselves? Why do we need to be the one and only? The idea or the need for exclusivity is also driven by external societal pressure. A man doesn't want to come off as a cuck. A woman doesn't want to come off as a slut. I ironically, both of these uh, put a lot of pressure on the woman. Isn't, isn't that interesting? <laughs> and it goes back further. Historically speaking, uh, a lot of pro-exclusive thought actually stemmed from the issue of inheritance. When it came to passing along your estate and your wealth down the paternal line, when we became a patriarchal society. It was important to make sure that the son who was inheriting your fortune was yours. So the easiest thing to do it, the easiest way to do that, was to put an emphasis, particularly in the exclusivity of uh, your relationship, especially females. We see kings that had, you know, multiple harems of women, um, multiple mothers of their children, but not, not so much the other way around. Um, we called this in anthropology class a paternity certainty. So even, even a little bit forward in history, uh, the idea of staying faithful then, after we got out of contracts, because if you think about even the language of 
use of to have and to hold that's popularly seen in marriage vows is present in contracts for property and land and deeds. I found this out um, during Anthropology Club. Uh, one of our extracurricular activities was digitally transcribing old local deeds for properties. And in a lot of them, I found to have and to hold as part of it. And that's a sober reminder that marriages were contractual. They were contractual affairs uh, that had little to nothing to do with love or romance and almost everything to do with business and inheritance and property. Now, going forward, romanticism, the era of romanticism, played up the idea of finding your one true love. It was almost a cultural release of that idea. Um, it was about finding your true love, being noble, and staying faithful. Uh, all these things were elevated. They were glamorized. And what do we know about anything that gets glamorized? It's a, it's a nice, superficial, but not quite authentic image of the truth. It's a glittered map <laughs> of the actual thing. Um, so that's why... Um, I think that a lot of times we have convoluted the idea of exclusivity with with true love, with with true devotion. Um, in fact, I saw I see that a lot of times more often than not non-exclusive relationships are often miscast as dysfunctional and lesser. I found a, a website while I was doing my research called Healthy Me, Healthy Us. Com by Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. And on this site, I was... <laughs> oh, I had a moment, guys, because concerning open relationships, they wrote, this is typically a sign that both participants aren't emotionally ready for a serious relationship, and true intimacy is impossible with other people involved. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, guys, this isn't... This can't be further from the truth. And again, we'll be exploring exactly why come next episode. <laughs> oh, but yes, somewhere along the line, because of these ideas that we have fostered for centuries, these amalgams of this same idea, we've come to believe that exclusivity is... That's not the case. Again, commitment is devotion of time and attention to someone or something, and it is not necessarily a finite resource. Now, of course, we've got to be honest with what we're able to give, to whom, how much. We have to constantly examine and evaluate ourselves to not make any promises we can't keep, but no. We are most certainly able to do this. <laughs> Consensual exclusivity, of course, can be a choice, but it should not be seen as the gold standard. After all, some animals choose to mate for life, but many don't. In fact, the majority don't. <laughs> Significant intimacy and devotion can exist for more than in our lives. When we think of our family, our friends, we understand this to be true. And yet, 
for some reason, a lot of us lock out that possibility when it comes to our romantic relationships. And again, just to be clear, I don't want to poo-poo on your choice to be in a monogamous relationship. What I am poo-pooing is the idea that that is the default standard of how things should be. There's an important distinction there. It is a choice we have, but it is not necessarily the way it should be, and it is not necessarily better or worse than um, non-monogamous situations. In fact, uh, on the next episode, I want to explore what healthy relationships are in general, Uh, all all the facets and qualities that define a good, healthy, solid relationship, and where potential toxicities might lay. I want to hear your input on that too. What do you think makes up a healthy relationship? Send your answers over on to askaddyadler at gmail.com or comment below wherever you are. If you've got YouTube, if you're on Facebook, go ahead and see me there. Um, I'd like to hear from you there. We're also going to go and touch on uh, alternative relationship styles, alternative marriage styles. We're going to take a look at hand fasting and other pagan traditions uh, when it comes to weddings. Uh, We're also going to touch on ENM, not to be confused with the news channel. We're talking about consensual non-monogamy there a little more in depth. And we're going to take a look at how we can... uh, Partake in good, healthy, solid relationship practices, no matter what kind of relationship we choose to pursue. I want you to know you have options. There are options, and a lot of them are valid. So I hope you'll join me for that next Thursday, guys. Thanks again for joining me tonight. I'm trying to keep these streams at about a good, comfortable half an hour. Um, So hopefully you're enjoying yourself uh, so far and learning some things along the way. I want to say a big shout out, a big thank you, because I've already got um, some support on Patreon. So thank you so much. Uh, So thank you so much, uh, my sweet, wonderful patrons so far. You guys have been great. Thank you so much. Because of you, I want to let you know that I was able to upgrade my account for uh, Restream. So now I can uh, I can uh, go ahead and directly uh, stream to the Sexplorations page versus just uh, versus just my page and then <laughs> and then trying to repost it here. Uh, if you're noticing and thinking, hey, Addy, are, are you stalling for some reason? The answer is absolutely yes. I, I am stalling because I'm trying to look for my patrons. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't used to it. I didn't, I wasn't used to having them. And suddenly you guys popped up. You know what? I remember I got four. So I'm going to say thank you, Chris, so much, uh, and thank you, R.D. Hannah. Thank you, Emily. And uh, thank you, Devin. I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, 
You guys are my champions. You guys are my VIP. You've been super supportive to me all throughout. And I, I'm eternally grateful for you. If you'd like to become a patron for me, uh, go ahead and follow me over here on uh, www.patreon.com backslash sexplorations. <laughs> That's right. And uh, make your make your commitment to me. Bye. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. Hopefully see you next Thursday. Patrons as well. Don't forget that every Tuesday you have an opportunity to participate in a live Q&A from me. So um, if you're interested in that, stay tuned. Also shoot me a message letting me know what times work best for you. I'm working on Eastern Standard Time and we'll see what we can do and arrange for everyone to have a great Q&A experience. Um, also check me out. I've got um, YouTube. I've got my uh, Spotify now. Um, got a Twitter I just started working on setting up a LinkedIn. The growth is happening, guys. And again, it's all thanks to you. Thank you so much for your support. I hope to see you next time, guys. Uh, until then, stay sexy.